Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about immersion. That's when you're so drawn into a story, whether it's film, a video game, a book, or a tabletop RPG, that you're invested in what happens next. Today we're once again talking to our good friend Ray Blackmore. Hey Ray, how's it going? Ah, not too bad. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. So, why is immersion important to your games, or anybody's games? Well, uh, um, I think... I think immersion. I think you said it when you when you sort of introduced the topic. Uh, immersion is that thing, or it's the act of drawing in your players, your audience, uh, your listeners, what have you, uh, into the content that you're providing them for. So, I think for a game that aspires to be role play heavy, uh, then immersion is a must because uh, you know, of course, you're all, you're all about that story, all about getting into character. Uh, and if you create a world that is immersive, right? Uh, if you create verisimilitude, which is sort of the the semblance of reality or truth, uh, then that allows your characters more content to to balance off of, right? So if you create a tavern that feels like a real tavern, and they've got special cuisine and there's sense in the air, then the players can remark on that. They'd be like, oh no, tomatoes, I hate tomatoes, you know? Or they'd be like, ooh, beef, yeah, Throgar wants beef. You know, these are these are important things. Um, I think also for RP light groups that are more about, uh, you know, kicking indoors and smashing in skulls, um, there is something satisfying about, you know, feeling what it's like to swing that axe through the air and cleave two goblins in half. You know, it's, it's more satisfying than just like, yeah, you killed the two goblins, yeah, 12 damage, that's enough. You know, but when you say, yeah, you cleave them in twain with a great swing of your blade, you know, uh, and blood, you know, splatters against the wall. I mean, you don't have to be that graphic. It, you know, find your, find your tone. I think that's important. So that's what it makes it important. Yeah, I, I guess if you, unless you have a player that really all they care about is what they're rolling, they only care about the numbers, then even a little bit of immersion will help make the game more entertaining. Yeah, totally. Because I mean, that kind of player is the kind of player who should be playing Baldur's Gate on PC, but it's too much reading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. That is, is a good one. Yeah. Um, I've, um, I've been listening to a couple actual play podcasts recently, and one thing I found that they do kind of in the same vein as that is instead of describing how you kill some or kill an enemy, if someone rolls a crit, he'll be like, okay, what does that look like? Yeah, I'm and, be kind of that. Yeah, drawing the player in by getting them to describe what they're doing. Yeah, well, and I think I think that's one of the things, again, that's important with immersion uh, from the DM side of the screen, because immersion is great both sides, um, and I think that you have a lot of players, especially newer players, who want to do that, right, but they don't know how to do that, and if you're not setting that tone for them, it's going to be harder for them, because they're going to they're gonna look at you as the example, you know, uh, when your monsters do cool stuff that is just outside the rules, but it's a fair stretch, then they feel like they can do cool stuff. You know, pushing over bookshelves to pin creatures or swinging from chandeliers. Um, but the important part about the immersion is that when you create a room, you know, it has the chandelier or it has the bookshelf um, and it feels like a real space. That's something that I've, I've heard varying opinions on uh, when it comes to running combats when you have a basically like map combat versus theater of the mind where... Some people come down heavily on theater of the mind because 
they've found that, at least with the people that they've played with, that as soon as you draw something out on a map, people assume that what's on the map is all there is. And they find it's much more immersive to do just theater of the mind because when you say that you're in a library, people immediately go, oh, okay, there's going to be books, there's going to be shelves, there might be some desks and stuff like that. Whereas if you just draw on a map, like a five by 10 room, and there's some like little brown bits on the yeah. side, people are like, oh, those are benches, I guess. Yeah. Like it's a lot easier <laughs> for some people to, when you're running theater of the mind versus uh, grid combat to be immersed. Yeah, well, I actually have that problem. I'm, <clears throat> I'm a fantastic storyteller, he says as he pats himself on the back, um, but I'm a terrible artist. So um, it's it's almost a running joke in in my my gaming group or at my tables where people well, I will draw a room and they'll 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 try and guess what it is before I describe it to them. And and of course it, it airs on the side of of comedy and and poking fun. But um, but I think that. As far as that goes, where I, I know what you're saying, where you know the the map sometimes feels like it limits that imagination. Um, I do think that the map is good because it allows you to draw in the important bits. So in your library, you've got the the rows of bookshelves, right, uh, and you can describe them to the characters. And then when when the fight that you had planned in that uh, library goes down, then the players understand what's there, and then they can think to themselves, oh man, I can push over that bookshelf, right? They don't forget the terrain, which is easy to do in theater of the mind, unless you're constantly reminding them. It's like, okay, so you're backpedaling through these stacks, which I mean, you can do, you should do, but, you know, if they can see it, I think that's helpful. Uh, what I tell my players, and I think this is something that you'd find helpful, uh, is that I always say, look, I'm going to draw everything that's super important and easy to remember. If you think that there's something that should be in the room that I haven't drawn or described, uh, you know, let me know, because I can't, if I describe every room to you in full detail, down to the color of every spine of every book, and the, the numbers on the on the Dewey Decimal System will be here all night, just to describe this room. But, you know, if I didn't say there was a chandelier, but you say, hey, is there any way that there's a chandelier in this room? You know, I can make a judgment call at that point. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe there is a chandelier. It's a big room, a lot of reading, you know, uh, and then and you can kind of go from there. I think mm. you you got to be willing to adapt your description uh, in a way of addition as opposed to, like, retcon. Yeah. Uh, what are some effective ways to create immersion? Uh, we've already talked a bit about combat, so maybe outside of that. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, I've got a few. Um, when you guys asked me if I would would join you again for another interview, I was super excited to talk about immersion. It's probably my favorite topic. Um, and so uh, the things I really want to talk about with you uh, are probably setting. So characters, and that's that's NPCs and monsters, but specifically in the in the scope of sort of creating, making them immersive. Uh, combat itself, because I think there's a lot you can do there that a lot of people don't do. Uh, treasure and rewards, because I think there's also a lot that you can do there. Uh, and the use of tropes, because uh, tropes tropes will do a lot of the work for you if you let them, uh, and that's something I'd like to talk about as well. Um, so I think the first one I want to talk about is setting. Uh, and so for the purposes of immersion and for our sort of discussion, setting is really wherever you're setting your scene. Uh, that can be your... So this isn't your whole world, like, you know, oh, dark sun, where everything is a desert and everyone is in pain. But, you know, uh, that is the the little town of Kerwindale. That is the, you know, the broken spoke tavern. Um, it's it's the localized area. It's maybe even just a room in your dungeon. And I think that the key with setting uh, is, is kind of, well, there's a lot, but I think the biggest one for me, and this is going to be me talking for a little bit, I'm so sorry, is detail. Um, you know, you want to you wanna make it feel alive, right? So uh, you can say, yeah, you walk into the tavern, it's mostly empty. And that's that's an adequate description, but it doesn't really give your your players uh, anything to work off of, right? And, and they don't have to, 
the other thing to remember is they're not going to have to bite on all of the pieces that you provide, right? Don't get offended. It's like, well, I told them it smelled sweet in there and no one asked me about it. You know, they're going to pick one or one of these details maybe and gravitate towards it. And that's going to be lovely. But you can say, you know, you, you swing open the door to the tavern, uh, you know, the, the fire is burning low in the hearth and it's doing a poor job of combating the evening chill. Uh, you know, the air is smoky with pipe smoke uh, and the, the smell of, of meat cooking on the grill uh, just tickles your nose from underneath there. Uh, there is a large stone axe hung over the hearth and a pair of plush upholstered chairs sit next to it. Uh, it's mostly empty in the tavern and a lone barmaid circulates the floor. Something that I've I've found when it comes to this kind of setting stuff, especially in, in dungeons or like not really one-off cities, but like an area they're only going to be in for a couple of sessions is is repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, in the campaign that I'm running, the dwarf, the dwarven race have a tendency to exaggerate when something is passed out of living memory. Mm. So their written records are not accurate. No, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> so, they're all hyperbole. They're yeah. all they're all exaggerated. Yeah, yeah so all like, war stories. So like you know they're in a dungeon. And it's like you see a mural of like a lone dwarf fighting off a horde of goblins and bugbears. And like just repeating little details like that, Absolutely. so that they so that they really get the idea that like that like because I the reason I did that is I wanted to hammer it in so that when they met a dwarf and the dwarf is like oh I've killed thousands of goblins they're like hey wait a second yeah no you haven't that's I know what you're up to yeah yeah I I think I think immersion is mostly about detail and repetition is important um you know I think. At the end of the day, what you're trying to do, again, is you want this tavern to feel like a real tavern. You want it to feel like it's different than the other taverns they've been into. Obviously, every tavern has its similarities. It's got a bar. It serves ale. It's got bar wenches or male bar wenches, just to be be clear. Um, you know, either or, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but you want something about this place to be unique. So even just even if you just had the axe over the hearth you know, or or what have you, then boom. Okay, that's something neat. And you, you can know what that is or you don't need to know what that is, right? I mean, if your players ask uh, and you don't know, um, don't be afraid to have the person they're asking just be like, I don't know. They could be asking the owner himself and be like, I don't know. And, you know, it's been there since I was a kid. You know, you'd have to ask my father, my late father. I don't know. You know, um, it's it's okay not to know, um, but, it, you know, it's better if you do. Um, and the more detail you can provide, the better, because, again, the point of that axe over the hearth is to get your characters interested, right? Uh, is to give them something to do other than be like, okay, yeah, we get some ale. And then they look at you and they say, now what? Well, I mean, if you've given them these sort of subtle hooks to engage, then that's great. And if you don't want them to engage in this tavern, then you probably wanted to narrate, yeah, you guys go to the tavern, you get some ale, you meet the merchant outside of town, and he takes you to the dungeon, right? Yeah, and <clears throat> I think one of the things that has been rolling through my head is the idea of, like, Chekhov's gun versus D&D. Right. In, when you're writing a story for a book or a film or sometimes a video game, like if you mention something, that thing has to be important at it some point. It has right. to matter at some point in the story. Right. Like you don't you don't mention a gun above the hearth unless somebody gets shot by that gun. Right. And right. but the thing for D and D is is that you're setting you're setting a scene so that people like your players feel more immersed. They're the yeah. the versatility. That's a ten dollar word. Yeah. yeah. No <laughs> immersion. The immersion. I'm a, I'm a three dollar word yeah. man. Okay. And um, <laughs> but if there's something that you want to be important that you want it to be a Chekhov's gun that it can't be a one-off thing that like you have to go by the i've, I've heard in a couple places the three clue rule like right. you can't have one route like one hook that leads them to an adventure if yeah. you want it to be important like you have to just skewer their path with as many hooks as possible 
Right, right. Well, I think the other thing is, and, I'm, and, and, and you're actually touching on one of my later points, which is tropes, um, which is fantastic. The thing about tropes is that they exist and they can do a lot of the work for you. But what's really great is that if you have a great deal of uh, immersion, a lot of detail, right, then it's harder for the players to pick them out so easily. And that's really satisfying because I think we've all read a book or watched a movie where we didn't catch that that was Chekhov's gun. And then it comes out and we're like, whoa, oh my God, Grandpa's old sword is the only sword that kills the demon? That's crazy. This is this kid was prophesized. Oh my God. And then you watch it a second time and you see it all fell into place, right? You know, it was sort of a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It was hiding in plain sight, you know? I think, well, I think the, the, my counter argument to that would just be like, you have to kind of, it's a fine line to walk because... Yes. Because it's not a TV show where you can or movie where you can go back and rewatch it. Right, right. So like, if if you like lay a bunch of very subtle hooks and then you like you spring this thing on them and your players are just like, oh cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I think the other thing I like about seeding a lot of detail into a setting is that you can go back and make it. You can make it important after the fact. So you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh no, this is happening. Blah blah blah. And it'll feel really even richer when someone's like, you must use the axe of destruction. It's like, where will we find it? It lays where the fallow rests. Of course, the tavern is in fallow's rest. And, you know, perfect. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's a neat backfill. But yeah, I mean, essentially, what your goal with setting is just to make the, the setting come alive, right? You don't want to send them into a flooded dungeon or a, a tavern that's on fire and they... Afterwards, you're like, so it's third round of combat. You're like, yeah, guys, the blaze is really getting up. This round, everyone's going to take a D6 fire damage. And somebody who you think has mostly been paying attention goes, wait, the tavern's on fire? And you're like, yeah, dude, where do you think the concealment's been coming from in the fight? Why do you, what do you think is going on? Like, I don't know, what's brawling with these orcs? Yeah, these orcs with torches and grenades. Like, what? So the point is, you know, you want everything to feel rich and alive, both so they can engage it and so everyone can sort of stay on untouched yeah i feel like there's there's some some bits of of setting detail that you have to strap it to a hammer and hit your players in the face with it and then there are some that you can just like gently sprinkle in front of them totally yeah exactly i mean you know the uh i'll go macro on on setting real quick just like some quick tips uh and then we'll we'll move forward because i've got a few other points i want to make and i don't (laughs) want to eat up the whole the whole interview um so setting so similarly with a town right uh you know you the world is full of towns and villages and all this stuff and you know we've even in the real world we've got places like you know champagne comes from the champagne region of france right that's a thing and and that's the kind of thing that you want to have and it doesn't have to be so world noteworthy but you know you want to roll into a village and believe that it's not just oh hamlet d you know it's not just another town uh, if it feels that way, the characters aren't going to be that interested. Um, and you know, you can do a lot of different things. You can give them, um, you can give them fashion. Um, you know, all of the men wear, wear wear pointed hats. You know, or uh, I like cultural traditions. Uh, you know, all the men wear their hair long in their youth as boys and young men, and then they cut it short. All the adult men have short hair, and you go, oh, you know, why is that? And it turns out that the men cut off their long hair when they marry to as a sign of new beginnings, right? Uh, the point is that, you know, it's just it's just something that makes this place different. You know, it makes it feel like, oh, yeah, they didn't grow up with the Internet interconnected to everybody around them because they, they don't, right? You're trying to make it feel like an isolated community that does its own thing. Um, you know, you can do racial bias, which is, you've got to be careful with that. Um, but, you know, usually with, like, half-orcs or, you know, half-elves or elves or uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, just, just anything um, that does that. I also like animals, right? It's a lot of fun to take fantasy creatures and weave them into the structure of, of a village. Uh, 
you know, I ran a village that had these giant rabbits, um, which which is a thing in real life that, uh, and they're not giant, but they, you know, they have this beautiful sort of uh, silky wool that they, they pull on. I can't remember the name for the wool off the top of my head. Uh, you know, and the village essentially has a spring festival where they compete to see whose wool, whose rabbits produce the, the best wool, you know? And it's just it's just one thing that's iconic enough so your characters be like, oh man, you guys remember Rabbit Town? That was so crazy, you know? Yeah, I think one thing I would say as a warning to newer DMs especially is that you kind of have to pick one or two things. Yes. You can't write a chapter of a book and expect your players to sit through half a session while you describe everything about this new village that they've just got Definitely, through. definitely. And we will definitely need to talk about like things to be careful of about immersion later on because yeah. that's that's definitely it. Um, but um, I would say maybe maybe let's talk about something else. Yeah, let's move into combat. All right, let's talk about combat. So combat, combat. a lot of this will be the same. It's, you know, you want to describe things and I think this ties into to NPCs and creatures a little bit. Combat, you know... You want it to feel, again, immersive. You want to make it feel real. And I think the biggest thing that I've found that DMs don't do is it's very easy to run your your monsters as stat blocks instead of as the monsters that they are. You know, if you're running a pack of wolves, well, why are the wolves fighting the players? You know, and are the wolves acting like wolves? You know, so for whatever reason, Wolf A decides he's going to abandon attacking the fighter and he's going to go after the rogue. Well, you know, tactically, it makes sense. He's got the actions. He'll make a withdrawal action, and then he'll, you know, move over, and the next round, he's going to attack the rogue. But no, 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 the rogue's prone. He sees an easy target. He's a wolf. He's going to turn around, and he's going to charge the rogue. You know, it's not the optimal move for the wolf, but it is a wolfy thing to do, you know? And when he gets there, you're going to say, yeah, he lunges forward, snapping his jaws. Perfect. That's it. That's great. You know, and, and he, you know, uh, he bites into your shoulder for six damage. As opposed to, yeah, the wolf attacks you, he hits you, six damage. You know, you, you want the wolf to feel like a wolf. I think that's that's really good. I think the other thing is with misses. You can do misses as well, you know. When you're fighting an ogre and the ogre misses, it's it's super rich once in a while. You don't have to do this for every swing if you don't want to. Just say, oh, you know, the uh, the ogre misses uh, and his his mighty fist punches into into the tree behind you crunching in the wood leaving a like a an imprint of his fist or you know you block it with your shield and you feel that momentary numbness running up your arm from the immense force of his blow you know i think those really bring bring th- combats to life uh in the same way we're talking about crits where it's like well you tell me how the orc dies yeah you know and that's it's something that i've i found is that it can take a little bit of prodding to get your players to provide some of that yeah. stuff for you but it's it's worth it because if they're thinking about what it looks like it means they're immersed exactly wonderful yeah you just you want them to to feel that uh the other thing that makes the world feel immersive uh, again along the lines of tropes and subverting tropes so you've got ogres uh who are who are dumb they're dumb as rocks right so on the one hand it's really fun to have a dumb ogre who is dumb because the players will feel like smarter creatures if they can trick the ogre right it's, it's sometimes as hard as a DM to let the ogre walk into what is obviously a surprise round because <laughs> you want him to stand on his two legs and have a, have a good go of it, but sometimes that feels good. The other thing, though, is you can subvert that trope as long as you back it up, right? So, you know, they, they lay out a trap with a haunch of meat attached to a rope and the ogre comes thump, thump, thump up. You know, the ogre leans down and he eyes the haunch of meat, spots the rope and he looks up and says, Oh, yes. Throg has read the human books. Throg has read the human books. He knows a trap. Show yourself, you know? That's great, you know? Uh, you, you have this ogre who who feels unique, right? 
you know, and, and all you've done is not give, you've robbed them of a surprise round, yes, but they don't feel robbed because you're giving them this interesting ogre. You know, they may want to take him prisoner and question him, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's what immersion is about, is it, all of a sudden this ogre stops being a sack of hit points with, with a 20 strength score, and he starts being a creature, you know? Um, and if you give him a name that he will say, that makes him feel like a creature too. And, and I think it's important to keep a list of names handy, because that's something that you're going to want to have. One thing I was just going to say is that when it comes to running monsters, especially the more bestial ones, like mm-hmm. the ones that aren't necessarily intelligent, like yeah. they might be wise, they just they can't speak or anything like that, is watching stuff like Planet Earth and Life yeah. so that you get a feeling for how a pack of predators would behave versus a lone wolf or a lone predator. And mm-hmm. how... Because there because one thing I've noticed is that there are plenty of creatures in the Monster Manual and the Tomb of Beasts, Beasts by Cobalt Press that mm-hmm. they are... They are not predators, but they are dangerous because, yeah. you know, like when you look at creatures alive in our world right now, yeah. like you look at the hippopotamus, it's like, oh, it's just a roly-poly bag of meat. Like, no. Yeah. They are terrifying ter- territorial animals. And so, like, you can run creatures like that where it's like, if if you're on the road and you see a pack of them, like, if your players get too close, combat happens. Yeah. But if they decide to, like, no, we're, we're just going to stay back. Like, running it like that makes it, like, if you pick just a couple of animals or watch a couple things on YouTube, it'll really help when you run those kind of creatures. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic. Uh, and again, I think the, the important part is description. Another way to make monsters without, like, you know, giving them each a name, giving them each a super serious thing is to uh, switch up their gear, right? Like, you know, the because you're going to have players who've memorized the stat block. Uh, and this is kind of leading into sort of creatures and NPCs. Um, you know, they know what an orc has. They know his stats. They know his gear. They know his armor. <clears throat> I ran a, uh, a one-shot game where the players washed up on an island. Uh, and the island essentially had three tribes of orcs, uh, only two of which I can remember the names of. Um, so you had the Brass Claw Orcs, kind of speaks for itself. Uh, you had the Bone Nars, who are cannibals, and these other ones. Um, so the deal with the Brass Claw Orcs was that they're, they're kind of good-ish, I mean, out of the three options. And then there was a, a wizard in a fort who they were all kind of afraid of. So what happened was the Brass... Br- sorry. Um, so the god of the orcs is Grumsh, and he's sort of a savage, burly warrior god. Um, and his wife's name is Luthic, and she's the goddess of fertility, of caves, kind of like orcish healing, and kind of being like brain over brawn. So these brass claw orcs worship Luthic, uh, and so they have these brass claw orcs. And brass is not a good weapon to, or good material to make weapons out of. If you if you look it up, like you know historically, bronze that's not bad. That's why there's a bronze age, but <laughs> there's no brass age. Um, but you know they they call it mother's gold, uh, and only the women um, are allowed to handle it and and forge it into these claws, which they then wear. And when they are uh, carrying children, which is you know sort of in worship of Luthic, they turn those over to their mates. Uh, and and then they you know the the men wear them as sort of badges of honor like yeah like I'm I'm a man you know like like we're expecting we're honoring our goddess and so then you had this tribe of slightly smarter orcs who have a weapon that makes them distinct uh, whose stat block doesn't behave the way you would expect uh, you know uh, and I gave them sort of you know the unique sort of physical description made them a little like you know like muscular but like more athletic in a, like a boxer's kind of way like a narrow kind of way uh, and boom like they were an interesting tribe of orcs and the players kind of got picked up off the beach by them and then kind of like tasked with going into the fort and killing the wizard by these guys but again they rolled around this town and it was it was a unique experience 
So, and then I had a Bonar, one Bonar in that village, uh, and essentially his name was Drinks the Marrow. Uh, and again, a good name goes a long way, because again, it tells you everything you need to know about this guy, right? Yeah, obviously, he's a cannibal, and he's kind of a douchebag, and he's kind of this schmarmy, anime, edgelord-esque kind of guy. Essentially, like, the sort of person who has a big personality, but he's just compensating for, like, feeling like an outcast. Uh, and he has this Bonar saying that he gets around, it's like, a Bonar is resourceful, or he is hungry. Right. And again, that's that's everything you need to know about him. But the point is, you just want to give him a unique trait. And again, that's really high end stuff. But like when you look at what we're doing there, we've got the brass clot works. They have a name that's distinct. So that makes them different from other works, makes them feel unique, not just another orcish warband. They have a weapon that makes them interesting. And again, you can just pick one of these and you'd be good. Right. Um, You know, they have a unique religious belief. They have some tribal rituals and so on and so on. You know, and that's like that's a, a whole cohesive immersive village yeah i mean otherwise npcs same thing uh you can pick easy descriptions uh so a physical description guy walks with a limp he's got a bad eye he's you know got acne scars pick a color of hair give him a beard uh make him tall skinny whatnot yeah emotional descriptions are good you can describe people's energy as well like he you know he's a grouchy looking man he is a friendly looking man so what about uh rewards and treasure this this, uh this listeners is I think Ray's good at a lot of things in DMing. I think this might be one of the things he's the best at. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, rewards and treasure are definitely uh, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, ways to create immersion. So, you know, you can you can take a magic item and it can be a dancing longsword. Uh, and that's great. It's That's cool. Uh, but if you call it Wind Cutter, you know, Blade of the Ginny King, uh, you know, all of a sudden it has a story and, you know, then the players can start rolling knowledges on it, that sort of stuff. Um, and that's that's cool. You can write up as much or as little story as you like. But if you give it a cool name, it feels like a badge of honor. Even like a plus one weapon can feel really cool. You know, you've got uh, if you had a plus one short sword that glows blue when orcs are around, all of a sudden you've got Sting from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I think when there was that moment where he pulls it out in The Lord of the Rings and it's glowing blue and we were all like, oh, yeah. You know, especially, like, you know, even even those of us who are D&D players like, oh, that's so cool. You know, all that is is it glows when orcs are within, whatever, 30 feet, 100 feet. But you give it a name, you say it's made of elven mithril, and boom, you're off to the races. Um, but I like to create a lot of immersion to make the world feel like it's a real world by doing treasure that is the kind of stuff that your players are going to want to keep. I think that's the best kind of treasure. You know, it's easy to be like, yeah, there are two portraits and uh, 600 gold pieces worth of gems, you can say. And that's cool. But if you say, you know, there are three amethysts cut into geometrical stars, roughly the size of your thumb, you know, each worth 100 gold pieces, Oh, all of a sudden we're, you know, we're cooking with gas here. You know, that's that's cool stuff. You know, you've got a complete set of darkwood bowls or cutlery. Oh, that's cool. My character wants to open a tavern one day. He wants this cutlery, you know. Um, and you can go further. Uh, you know, a gold ring sounds cool. You know, a, a heavy gold ring of dwarven make uh, with like a large geometric emerald set in it. Oh, all of a sudden, again, you can picture that. And that's something that sounds really cool, really neat. You know, uh, and it doesn't have to be fancy. You can do the reverse, you know. I think this is, I think, one of the areas where you most heavily have to be playing to your party. Yes. Because if you describe a, you know, a dwarf signet ring with an emerald and they write down gold ring, emerald. Like, yeah, I mean, the problem with the problem with, with all of sort of immersive storytelling and detail-oriented storytelling is that you're... You're going to have to decide what your group likes, right? I mean, obviously, there is a sort of sliding scale. Uh, and and one of the tips I would say is, you know, 
don't don't start out too too detailed you know find your own level of, of comfort right because if you if you write out this four paragraph thing you know i'm re recounting this because this is what I'm, I'm good at and i've spent uh years going we didn't really talk about my gaming experience but I, i've been playing for about like 12 years i've been running for a fair share of that i've played all sorts of systems so again i've got a lot of experience uh, creating this stuff. You know, I, I can come up with that stuff off the cuff. Um, but, you know, even if you write it down, if you're not comfortable delivering it, then you're going to have a problem. Because you're going to be like, oh, yeah, so it's a, a wind cutter and um, and throw to totalet. Uh, he forged it. Um, and, you know, don't do not do too much if you're not ready to do that. And also if your characters not, if your players don't care, then that's fine. But again, the goal of immersion is to create a world that they want to take part in and give them treasure that they want to want to come up with. I once did, uh, as a, on a lark for a one shot, uh, put together these articulated, deeply detailed wooden dolls, articulated wooden dolls. Um, and they were all of like previous characters that the players in the party had played, uh, you know, and so I didn't name them. I just described them. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's dawning on them as they're finding more and more of them what's going on. And it was a joke, right? But it was, it was also a really cool treasure. But I think, yeah, you know, it's also loot is a great way to add depth to your world because you can, you can have a book of poetry by a famous, uh, elven poet from three centuries ago. You know, you can have the lost sonata of, of this, uh, this composer. You know, you can do that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's just an easy way to be like, oh yeah, this axe was forged by, you know, Roderick, you know, the, the dark, you know, the, the fallen dwarven king. You don't have to, but you can't, right? It's, it's about what you want to do and, and how you can do that. Uh, and with gear or rewards, the way I like to do treasure, I like to take some of the loose coin because most of treasure packets, if you go by like a book or anything like that, is loose coin. I take about half that and just do it up in in, in objects. Uh, and again, that's my personal taste. Find what you like. Um, the easiest way to find interesting objects to to do if you can't come up with it, I mean, obviously, look around your house and, and pick stuff that you, you own. You know, uh, figurines, furniture, uh, weapons, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, like... Instead of like a, a masterwork longsword, what about a longsword made from the ivory of a dire elephant? You know, with a scabbard made from its from its uh, trunk. That's awesome. That's you know, players in my experience, they love cool weapons, they love cool pets, uh, and they like cool clothes. Chimera skin breeches is a fan favorite in our table. <laughs> uh, I think every adventure I run has one of those. But you know, um, the other one is uh, go on to like the Wikipedia for antique roadshows, and you know, people bring in the weirdest stuff, and then just take that and like. Tailor it to your world, you know, prize buttons, harpsichords, whatever. Yeah, I think I think the <clears throat> last, I don't know, 2,000 years of history have produced plenty of weird miscellaneous items that you could just like trawl through Wikipedia and be like, yep. Well, that's yep. it. That's exactly. And that's that's the goal, right? That's what you're looking to do is, yeah, just, you, again, you could go on Amazon. You know, I mean, Amazon's harder because it's all modern gadgets now, but like Antique Roadshow, it's all old stuff. You know, it's just ancient. So... Just Go through eBay. Yeah. Crawl through eBay. For real, right? You know? Um, and again, I, I I like to use it to tie into the world, right? It's like, oh, yeah, people do make this stuff. Remind the players, oh, this is the tech level, you know? Like, you know, an hourglass, that's a thing. That's how we keep track of an hour, you know? Stuff yeah. like that. So what about tropes? Tropes. So, yeah, um, tropes will do a lot of heavy lifting for you, like I said. Um, because, again, when you say, oh, an orcish warband comes charging out of the woods, people have an idea, right? You know, you're thinking uh, green-skinned, muscly dudes. Uh, they're, they're savage. They're brutal. They're dirty. They probably have axes, most likely. 
yeah, pretty pretty standard. And that's great. You know, you can do a lot of that. And I think if you actually just point out some of those items that are in the trope, it does all the thinking for you, and you just gotta say it. Yeah, like a savage group of of orcs come charging out of the out of the the underbrush, uh, brandishing great axes and wearing you know battle scarred leather armor. Perfect. All right. You actually that's that's evocative enough. You like you know that's that's what I mean. You can start small, you know, and 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 just use the basics, right? You don't even have to reinvent the stuff. You just need to kind of describe it, and then if you want to tweak it. You can. Like, again, you've got those brass claw orcs I talked about. All of a sudden, you know, these orcs come barreling out of the underbrush, and they're brandishing these long, articulated brass claws that they wear strapped to their wrists. You know, they're wearing, you know, sort of bone armor, uh, and they have pale skin. Perfect. Okay, now all of a sudden, well, who are these orcs? What's going on with these orcs, right? The point of the immersion is it it raises questions, hopefully, for your, for your characters, and then maybe they want to know who these guys are. Yeah. Yeah, tropes can be good, they can be bad. It's just you have to understand why you're using them right yeah you need to understand them um is i think the important part um but yeah the the basic stereotypes again right you can have the the princess right the hapless princess who's been kidnapped you know but it, it it'll be a memorable princess yeah it's it's a common subversion of the trope that she's or a trope even that she's all like i don't need your help i'm i can handle myself but then you you're like yeah 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 here's a dagger and you put that dagger in her hand and she turns out to be like a fifth level rogue and you know she she jumps in the next fight with the orcs and she's sneak attacking and she's you know she's kind of making your your party rogue look a little bad not too bad you don't want to you don't want to gaslight or or like you know spotlight shame other players but like all of a sudden you guys go whoa you know princess clarabelle you know all of a sudden you're thinking oh what is her story you know tell me like oh you see her with a new eye right uh, and and that's kind of the idea is it makes her feel less like, oh, she's just the princess. She's literally the, the MacGuffin to, to someone new. Or, or even they show up in the, you know, the head of this, you know, Orcus tribe's cave or whatever. And there's the princess and she's sitting on his lap and they're laughing. What? Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, exactly. Right. You know, and that's and that's the right kind of way to subvert it. Right. You know, the king's like, go rescue my daughter. She's been kidnapped by the orcs. And you get there and she's like, yeah, daddy would say that. But no. No, you know, Throgar and I are in love. We're going to slay dwarves together. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> perfect! You know what I mean? You can play her as silly or as serious as the tone of your game allows, right? But yeah, that's, and that's, again, the players won't see it coming uh, initially, but when it happens, if you're doing it right, if you're describing it, you know, not, not like deeply enough, but just enough setting it up properly, then it, they won't be like, that doesn't make sense. We were told that she was raised in a monastery with her hands tied and like no 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 right but you know then they'll want to know how she got these skills or how she got this spirit or you it know just, it just occurred to me that something that would be hard to pull off but would be amazing is if you play the pronoun game like <laughs> go rescue my child they need your help and they show up and it's a guy yeah it's yeah it's this prince right yeah no totally you know i think again there's a lot you can do with the tropes will will lead your party to make baseline assumptions and sometimes you want to reward those assumptions right you don't ever want to like kind of like again shame your party or like pull the pants down on them uh for that but you know in a good way you want to make it interesting you know scholarly dwarves you know uh you know fastidious goblins you know stuff like that yeah but if you're constantly pulling the rug out from your players expectations they're just at a certain point they're just gonna be like okay we're going to meet some new race yeah it becomes less interesting if you do it too much well exactly because again like we talked about in the combat you want your wolves to act like wolves and the reason you want mask Chekhov's gun, right? In the same way, you want your wolves to act like wolves so when the wolves don't act like wolves anymore, the players can be like, wait a minute, 
these wolves don't act like wolves. Yeah. Is, is it a ranger who trained them? Is it a druid who's controlling them? Is it demonic possession? Uh, are they not wolves at all? Is this a polymorph spell? The point is, again, if if you set that precedent, then you can call back to that precedent, and you can say, you remember before that the wolves of Darkshire never crossed the river, but these wolves have chased you into the plains. Why? Can you give us some quick kind of tricks to improve immersion in a game? Yeah, um... I think and this is probably the best piece of advice that I can give for anything in D&D uh, is my my philosophy is prep the things that you can't improvise and be prepared to improvise the things you're not going to prep. So with immersion, again, make lists really like quick and dirty lists. So again, names male and female, you know, even just like a dozen will probably do you, you know, and you can refresh it as you use them up, right? So that not everybody in your, your town is named Wilhelm or, you know, or Vlad or whatever. And then just physical traits, um, things again that you can slap on. You can so, sorry, I was just thinking. You've got Wilhelm, Vlad, Wilhelm, Vlad, and Vlad Wilhelm. Absolutely, <laughs> and and Vlad Wilhelmson, Vlad. Yeah, for sure, right? Son of Vladhelm. Yeah, um, right. So uh, you want physical traits that you can again. Um, a little goes a long way. We've talked about a lot of different things, a lot about detail, about narrating, about bringing these guys to life. If you pick one and lean into it, it's going to go far. Um, so you know, uh, you know, a list of uh, you know. Uh, missing an eye, uh, walks with a limb, slouchy posture. You pick whatever you like, and and just get a list of like again twelve maybe. Um, you know, and make some of them good and some of them bad. Noble bearing, you know, uh, broad shoulders, muscular, skinny, tall, short. If you need to strap together a NPC on the flight, ask yourself that: male or female, tall or short, friendly or unfriendly, uh, and then just pick one other thing, um, and that's that's great. Similarly uh, for locations. Think of the five senses really fast, right? What's it look like? You've probably already thought that out, right? That's the easy one. What's it smell like, right? Uh, dusty, dry, smoky, perfumed, right? All of a sudden, they walk into this empty room, this dusty, empty room, and it has a perfumed smell of roses. Boom! Instant immersion. Instant curiosity. Instant mystery, right? Um, Sorry, I was just... The first thing that popped to mind was, yes, you step out onto the plains and it smells perfumed. Well, but then, again, <laughs> right? Like, well, someone invisible? Uh... Are we, are we catching someone's track? Like, what's going... But that's what's is so there great. a portal to the Feywild? Well, that's that's it, right? And and that's kind of the point of immersion is, you know, immersion is that thing where your characters start... They forget that they're sitting there with a sheet and some dice and a pencil and some Cheetos and some Mountain Dew. They And they think, oh, man, I'm standing in the plains and I smell perfume. I smell roses. That's impossible. That's... I think that's, that's important. So, um, the other thing I would say, as far as quick immersive tips go, is um, if you need to bring an NPC to life, right? We didn't, we haven't really talked about like doing voices yet, but I think we should talk about that just real quick. I don't think you have to do voices. No. I don't think they're mandatory. I love to do them, um, and I think they're a great tool. And I would say for anyone who considers it but doesn't want to do it, I've never played with a group that didn't love the voices. I think you just got to real, you got to be willing to look silly and then commit. But you don't have to. Like, you don't have to do them at all. Uh, play play to your strengths and your comfort. Um, yeah, because well, one thing I'd say that is uh, something that Matt Colville talked about with, like, trying to create memorable NPCs is, like, the first thing people think of is, oh, I've got to create a voice. Like, no. no. If, if you, like, give them a good description and you give them a tick, like, whether it's the way they walk yep. or a word they use a yep. lot or the way that they talk... That's more immersive than talking in a funny voice. No, totally. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you have that guardsman. It's like, and the guardsman says, "Oh, I don't know." He says, considering your proposition, as he as he thumbs the scar around his mouth. 
Perfect. All right, great. We get it. He's seen combat. Yeah. Perfect. And another thing to remember is that, like, your players are going to remember the characters that they remember, and some, and you can't always plan for that. Oh, dude, yeah. So, like, maybe don't always go in expecting that this one character is going to be the character that they remember, because they might not even talk oh, about it. Yeah, <laughs> and something to, to keep in mind, especially with, um, like, Acquisitions Incorporated, the C-Team, uh, Critical Role, is that, like, especially with Critical Role, they are voice actors. They are actors like yeah. their whole job is is doing that is not doing voices it's being an actor and and as a dm your job isn't to be an actor your job is to create a world and get the players immersed in it and if doing voices plays no part in that that is fine right exactly run the game that you're going to enjoy running right and and run it the way you enjoy running it um, you know, I mean, the point of, of this whole conversation is, is some tips. If you want to add immersion to your game and you don't know how or you want to compare notes, just offering my, my experiences, I will say that if you, if you, if you need to bring a character to life, uh, like you really want to bring this guy like, oh, yeah, I've got the Duke and he's going to be a main NPC and I just can't figure out what I want to do with him, pick a person you know in real life. Uh, and emulate them, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, that guy at the office or, you know, the, the receptionist at your dentist or uh, it's your uncle, pick uh, or even even a well-known uh, actor or, or character from hopefully not something that's recent. Like, you know, pick somebody from like, you know, uh, six months ago, like, you know, if all of a sudden you have this uh, this town mayor and he's essentially like this short roly poly Wolverine. You know, like, he's just this, like, this aggressive, like, you know, it, it, it as long as he fits what you want him to be as far as, like, plot, you know, pick whatever you like, you know. One that I use a lot for, uh, for like, gruff kind of characters is actually my, my dad. Uh, my dad's a man who drops his voice several octaves when he talks to other people, except for his family. Like, if I'm my dad, I'm like, oh, you know, hey, Jesse, how's it going? You know, uh, you know, whatever. And then, uh, then, you know, you take me to, to hang out with your, your, your parents. So I'm like, oh. Yeah, hi, Mr. Borlas. You know, you know I'm, 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 I'm Mr. Blackmore. You know, it's, it's nice to meet you. You know, uh, and, and boom, like, I'm a whole different guy. And you don't have to do voices, but, you know, uh, and again, my dad my dad had a habit of sort of, like, pawing at the back of his hair, like, at the back of his head. And so, again, like, at the table, you can do a little subtle body, body language, even if you feel like it, to bring an NPC life. Change the way you, you, you hold your shoulders, sit up straight, slouch a little, whatever you like, and that that'll do a lot of the heavy lifting for you as well. Yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest thing is that you don't even you don't have to do voices, just even just yeah, just slouch a little bit, sit up a little bit straighter, sit a little crooked. Like, totally, totally. Just, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can just like tiny little things can work wonders. Totally, yeah. Tilt your head to the side if you're trying to play like an ancient fae who's inscrutable. Just tilt your head to the side, look at your players and go, Oh, I didn't realize done like you know it doesn't have to be like oh fireworks voices you know cavalcade yeah yeah what are since we're talking about voices and then doing you know less is more what are some missteps that you that people should try to avoid um well definitely i'll say uh again trying to you know sort of the the tragic tale of icarus where they try and fly too close to the sun again uh you know uh, some of my descriptions and my examples are, are very detailed. Some of them have been more sparse. Uh, the more detailed ones come from from a lot of experience, right? Like those are, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing that. It is okay to start really small. Like if you say you walk into the dusty tavern and it is busy inside, that's actually that's that's not bad at all, you know. As opposed to you, you just walk into the tavern, right? Perfect. Yeah, it's dusty, so we know it's dirty, and we know it's busy. Done. That's that's immersive. If you want to say there's music, say there's music. If you want to say there's something else, say it. But don't you don't have to layer on these these you know this paragraph of description because your players may miss some of it depending on your group. Um, so I think that is a really good one. As far as other things, I don't know. Um, don't put things in your world that you're not willing to follow up on. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you if you create a thing, then 
like stick to it. Um, you know, if you if you put it there, you got to be ready for the players to ask you about it. Uh, you know, if you give the guy a name or you give the guy, he's like, I'm the Lord of Ericsville. They'll be like, where's Ericsville? And he can't be like, I don't know. I mean, if you really panic, you'd be like, he can say, I don't recall. And they're like, what do you mean you don't recall? And he's like, you see, that's why I'm here. I'm here to, but then now you're improvising, right? But you, you got to be ready. Either you have to perhaps, you know, or you got to be ready to improvise. And you can just make this stuff up and then just backfill it. Yeah, that's okay. And and for stuff like that, I think if, if, if players want to know where a thing is, but thing is really not a part of where you want the campaign to go, you just be like, oh, it's far to the east or something. Like, you don't have to know exactly. Just pick a random direction. Totally. Well, that's that's it. Like, I think, uh, you know, it's very Occam's Razor that way. Uh, you know, especially when you're improvising. Uh, you, you wanted the simplest answer that feels legitimate is great um also people don't have to answer even names it's like you know you're, you're talking to this guardsman for whatever reason you don't have your list of names handy you can't think of a good name you know and and he's you know he's an elf or whatever and they're like what's your name guardsman and he's like that is none of your concern human done perfect great yeah. he can he can refuse uh you know that is totally fine um, but I would say, yeah, you know, don't don't get carried away, right? Like that's that's really important. I think I think the thing about immersion, and especially when it comes to improvising, what can make it seem hard is that it is so situational. Like if if the characters are trying to pump a guard for information, they're trying to be friendly or buddy buddy, yeah. trying to like be like, hey, we'll buy you a drink. What's your name? They're like, it's none of your business. It's like it's that interplay of immersion and improv and yes ending while also trying to be like oh shit i don't know a name starting out it can be terrifying and a huge mountain to climb it's just one of those things you have to just keep doing i agree i would also say the other big piece of advice i could say like things to watch out for is remember not everybody has to be immersive yeah not everybody you know again you know you don't have to describe every barmaid you know if you want you have one that you want to stand out and sort of be emblematic you know, you can describe that one character and you'd be like, you know, and the other barmaids are, are similar in appearance. You know, one's a blonde, you know, or what have you. You know, you don't have to describe every orc. You can be like, and their leader is missing an eye. He wears an eye patch. Perfect. He feels unique. Therefore, they kind of feel unique. You know, yeah. it, it, it's it's an area effect. Um, so I would I would say that's also pretty good. One, one last question when it comes to immersion and things to do or not do is what are your thoughts on like first personing all of your npcs versus third personing everything oh so like uh they ask the guard hey which way to the temple and he said and, and i go well i'm not too sure or rather going he says he's not too sure yeah i think that's a stylistic choice i'll be really honest with you i alternate on a whim i would say if it's a choice between getting halfway to it being like oh no no, no, no sorry i i do these guys in first person and stumbling or just like rolling with what you start with I just, just whatever comes off the tongue nicely, whatever fits your style. I, I've never, ever had my table like, wait a minute, you were talking for that guy, but now you're narrating for that guy. Like, no, no, no. Like, we do that all the time. Sometimes we want them to roleplay buying their rope because rope is scarce. We have a scene. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you guys hit the general store. The guy is nice. He sells you rope at market price. You can buy anything that's in the book. Go. You know, it's, I think it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, I think that has to do, too, with the the clip you want your session to be moving at. And it changes all the time. If you've been taking a lot of time role-playing on the front end with an NPC that you can expect to get a half hour of conversation out of your players, sometimes <laughs> right. you just have to narrate them going through stuff that's maybe less important role-playing-wise to get them to that combat encounter that you really want to run tonight. Right. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly it, you know. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, again, just remember, it's it's just that you just want to add enough detail, enough to make it feel like a real setting. Uh, so, Ray, what's one thing that you know now that you wish you could kind of go back in time and tell early baby DM Ray about immersion? Ah, oh, man, uh, honestly, <laughs> honestly, um, and it's it's the same thing I said earlier, I, I, verbatim, I, like I said, I think it's the best piece of advice I could give on anything, is uh, prep what you can't improvise and improvise what you're not going to prep. Uh, and you need to find where that line is for yourself. You need to decide, can I whip together a tavern off the cuff? Uh, and if you can, great. And again, it doesn't have to be crazy, you know, but it can be if you want it to, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, and if you can't, then uh, write a few things down. Again, you know, uh, yeah, the, the tavern serves pork here, you know, or there's there's no food. Um, just little things like that. And, you know, there's, there's a musician or, you know, what have you. Uh, and if you decide those things in advance, then that helps. Um, I, I also think, again, cheat sheets, cheat sheets, cheat sheets. As, a, as an addendum, would you also say don't be afraid to ask your players for 10 minutes so you can prep something you're not comfortable improvising? Yeah, I would say if, if you need to. Uh, it depends on what it is, right? Because I think there are very few situations where you're really going to need to stop and do that. But if they're, if they're like, we go talk to the magistrate, the guy who runs the law in this town, and you're just like... Oh, shoot, I guess the town would have a magistrate based on everything else that I've said. That makes sense. You go, you know what, guys? That's absolutely. Uh, you guys do that. And I think, uh, and I um, I was watching GM Tips with Satine Phoenix, and I can't remember whoever guest said this, and this is great advice. It is okay to be like, yeah, man, absolutely, we're going to do that. I just got to use the bathroom for a second. Uh, and, and, you know, don't be suspicious. Like, I just, you know, just be like, no, for sure. But, you know what, like, I'm dying to go. Uh, I didn't want to disrupt the, the setting. And duck away the bathroom if if you don't feel comfortable asking for a pause. I, as a DM, no problem. Like, no worries, guys. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I do need a minute to figure out what that's going to look like. Yeah. But if you don't feel comfortable saying that, just excuse yourself and, like, go to the bathroom. We all do it. Uh, and then, you know, take your five minutes in there and just be like, okay, what's this guy like? What's his deal? Yeah. yeah. I think another kind of important piece of advice as far as the, like, uh, prep what you don't want to improvise improvise what you don't prep is like keep in mind that like your level of ability is going to change based on like what kind of day you have if totally. you know you're going to be working like 10 hours and then going to run a game try and prep more so you don't have to improvise when you're tired or something like that yeah and i guess the other thing i would say just on that just on this whole discussion is again uh like detail and immersion aren't mandatory and you want to find the balance that is right for your group Right. So uh, it not everything has to be deeply immersive. You know, if you punctuate your game with pieces of immersion, it, it will make the whole thing come to life and you can kind of ride those waves of detail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you don't have to talk about it. every road they walk down and every rolling hill in the highlands. But, you know, if you describe the rolling highlands once, uh, then, you know, you can be like, oh, you guys remember it's it's a verdant highland. Yeah, cool. So. <laughs> cool. Well. Thank you so much for coming on again and yeah. talking to us about immersion. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, you know, happy, happy to be back. Happy to come back again. Uh, and thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Our logo and other artwork is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DMs of Vancouver, all one word. We'd love to hear from you folks about topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Lastly, if you want to help us out, we've got a Patreon account where you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Each little bit helps, and all the money will go to making this podcast as awesome as possible. See you next time, folks. Roll for initiative! <laughs>